Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kano Rinse Podcast, Volume 6, Issue 283. And it's The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings. You can play along with the show, of course, as we love you to do. The entire schedule up to Issue 300 can be found on the Kano Rinse website, kanorinse.com. But if you want to play along with the next few shows, we will be covering Destiny. If you haven't played that before, probably don't bother trying to play along with the show for that one. Uh, after that is Double Dragon Neon, Double Dragon 2, Wonder of the Dragons, and Double Dragon 4. Cana uh, Rince does not necessarily endorse you buying any of those games on our behalf, <laughs> certainly not the middle one, but uh, the others you may get some, some pleasure out of. Double Dragon 2, Wonder of the Dragons, don't expect anyone to play along with the show. Uh, Mortal Kombat... Mortal Kombat 2, Mortal Kombat 3, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, and the MK Trilogy. Remember that. Following that, it's Blade Runner, the 1997 game. And then it is the trilogy of games called The Room. Head to canorince.com for articles, features, reviews, links to our forum, of course, our Facebook page and YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what we do and you would like to support us, if we add something to your lives, you can pay us back. With love, reviews, subscriptions, ratings, also money. A Patreon, patreon.com slash rinse. You can donate the minimum of a dollar a month or more if you'd care to. And as we've announced, if we hit our target of $3,000 per month by mid-November, we will be making more Cana Rinse next year. Twice as much, in fact, 100 uh, of the main Cana Rinse shows instead of uh, 50 two a week instead of one we'll continue with sound of play at one a week as well and if you want to make that happen or just generally support us in that way uh, patreon.com slash rinse and as i mentioned there we have another podcast sound of play which is all about music we have uh, cool guests from the community and composers and uh, people from here and there around the internet sharing their love of video games music as i say please uh, review and rate and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts and we thank you for that so joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 283 are Jason Taylor. Hello. Or Jay, as he prefers. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Or Josh, as he doesn't mind. And Daniel O'Brien. <laughs> greetings. Or, or Sean. Sean. Greetings, Sean. <laughs> so uh, The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings. Now, I must admit, uh, we've done a bit of consultation courtesy of, of Jay as regards to some of the pronunciations of uh, the names of the developers behind this uh, amazing project. And uh, I haven't been doing my practice, so I apologise in advance for any mangling of uh, Polish names that I do. Obviously, we know the developer is CD Projekt Red, although we've also learned recently from Danny O'Dwyer's video that actually we've been saying that wrong as well, because it should be something more along the lines of uh, Kede Project Red. Uh, but we're, we'll stick with the anglicised version because it just it sounds more natural coming from us uh, English speakers, I think. This was now on the Red Engine, the so-called Red Engine. I assume that's their custom bespoke mm. uh, engine after they used BioWare's uh, tech for the predecessor that we talked about uh, some weeks ago now. And the original Microsoft Windows PC version came out in May 2011, so over six years ago now. The Enhanced Edition duly followed a year later near uh, near enough and there was also an xbox 360 port which also came under the enhanced edition moniker although obviously due to the power of that machine it wasn't the equivalent of running witcher 2 at uh, ultra specifications or whatever uh, but it went down very well uh, there's also a mac version later that year osx uh, october 2012 and it came to linux in 2014 as well sales total around 1.9 million physical copies 
obviously, as always, we have no real data as regards to digital copies and, of course, pirate copies. Uh, the original version of the game on PC reviewed very solidly with an average of almost 88% from nearly 50 reviews. And the Xbox 360 version was reviewed by almost 60 sites and averaged just ever so slightly lower, just over 87%. Uh, looking at user scores as they stand currently in August 2017, uh, on IMDb we have a 9.1 out of 10 from uh, almost 3,000 folks. And over on Metacritic, we have 8.5 out of 10 for the PC version and 8.3 for the 360 version. So yeah, decent. Not that dissimilar to the review scores, I suppose you could say. From the forum, before we hear our histories with the game, we have Ari G, who says, I picked up the original Witcher at release as an impulse by a local supermarket back when they stocked PC games. Technical issues and cringeworthy, cringeworthy sexual depictions aside, this random buy kickstarted a love of the franchise, which extends beyond just the video games. For me, despite the brilliance of The Witcher 3, Witcher 2 is the peak of my love for the IP. Part of the reason for The Witcher 2 being my favourite is that it took the original game, which in turn took the source material and significantly built upon it. Graphics, sound design and story especially were improved notably this is something that the witcher does not do as uh, the witcher 3 sorry does not do as well in my opinion it's an improvement in most ways yes but it largely ignores foundations built by earlier games but more on that in the future including some fantastic plot threads and also Kintaris uh, from the forum the witcher 2 had a fascinating plot and an entire ensemble of interesting characters well except dandelion what i appreciated at the time was the fact that witcher 2 kept itself relatively tightly structured compared to the open world direction of a lot of western rpgs including wild hunt seemed compelled to take the game isn't perfect gratuitous boobs a wooden lead voice actor and a fair handful of irritating bugs still make an appearance and letho's southern drawl was like nails on a chalkboard throughout the prologue does uh, goes on a bit too long without giving much context to what the hell is actually happening, which was slightly problematic given that a lot of people were coming into this on console as their first experience of the series. Despite this, I think The Witcher 2 is still stands up as a brilliant example of a modern RPG and significant evolutionary step towards the intelligent and mature world building we're starting to expect from the genre today. Uh, thanks, chaps. More from the community throughout. So uh, how did we come to this game ourselves? Let's start with Jay. I think you played this after Witcher 3. I did. And it made it kind of awkward doing it that way. Um, mm. But I actually picked this game up before I picked up The Witcher 3 because I, I had no interest in this game whatsoever when it initially released. Really? I mean, because Josh wrote a review of this for the website back in 2012. And I remember reading that at the time, but nothing about the game struck me as, as like something that I felt like I wanted to play. I can't really precisely say why, because, you know, I'd played Dragon Age Origins and really enjoyed the hell out of that. So these mm. kind of games I had no issue with. The only thing I can think of is that really it was just down to... I was more of a PlayStation person than an Xbox. The Xbox was gathering dust at that point, and I think that's that probably had something to do with it, in that I just wasn't paying attention to these things. And also maybe because it was the second game in a series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not having played the first one, there wasn't really a pull for it. I was unfamiliar with the source material at that time. Yes. Um, Not anymore, and, though. Well, no, but this is... The, so I had no interest in The Witcher 2 until I saw the trailer for The Witcher 3. And then mm. that game caught my eye straight away, and I was like, "Okay, this is something I've got, I've got to play." After seeing the gameplay trailer, I was like, "I've got to, I've got to get hold of this." But at the time that game came out, we were moving house, and mm. obviously, I wasn't going to buy a big game like that. I had no, you know, I had a lot of other stuff on a plate, so I just thought, well, "Okay, we'll 
sort that out once I've settled. So we moved to a, a town called Lincoln. They have a retro game shop here called Gotham Games. I saw that they had a copy of The Witcher 2 Enhanced Edition for the 360 for like 11 quid. So I picked that up instead because I figured, well, you know, Witcher 3 looks amazing. Let's go back and pl- play this one. Mm. Played about the first two hours and then put it to one side and ended up watching people streaming The Witcher 3 instead. <laughs> so only came into this game this month, really, in the last sort of four weeks. I've, I've played through, for the, finished the, the playthrough that I'd started. Why it took me so long, I guess it was specifically that I didn't, after the peak that was Witcher 3 for me, I didn't want anything to sour that experience. And knowing that you're <laughs> yeah. going back in a series, you know that it's not going to be quite as epic as that game was, or, you know, that there would, there would be differences because it's an older game. It just made me wary of starting it, I guess. And- It'll be really interesting to hear uh, what you made of it. I also think it's interesting that you got it from a place called Gotham Games. And the thing I keep thinking when I hear from, and, that, you know, there are, there are uh, as always, there's a vocal uh, section of the, the Witcher fan base Mm. who uh, swear by Witcher 2 over Witcher 3. And it sounds very similar to me to the exact same discussions we've had regarding uh, Batman Arkham Asylum versus Arkham City, Mm. which is that Arkham City opened everything up into this massive sort of open arena where you're constantly, you know, swooping about to different markers on the map and all that Mm. sort of thing, arguably at the loss of focus and story and things like that. Um, So, yeah, we'll we'll get into that, of course. Uh, Josh, so you wrote a review for us. Uh, I must have edited that five years ago. Uh, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, So you played it on PC back then? Yes. So The Witcher 2 was a game that I picked up for my brand new PC and um, I wanted to kind of test my new rig out on something that was a bit more demanding than I already had so I picked Mm. up The Witcher 2. So it's a a year on from the initial release and and it had several patches to the combat and they uh, they added a tutorial area so I Mm. haven't experienced kind of uh, The Witcher 2 as it was on launch. I've only experienced it, um, this patched version. One of the reasons why I picked it up was um, actually Vinny over on uh, Giant Bomb was really singing its praises and and kind of championed mm. it as a uh, a game of the year contender and a lot of the video coverage they did for The Witcher Two visuals alone were kind of at the time were just jaw dropping like it was really really impressive stuff um, in you know 2011 and 2012 and yeah I uh, I played through the whole thing wrote a review if you've already read that review you've pretty much spoiled my opinion on this podcast but uh, yeah I'll go into the reasons why I I feel positively in a bit I imagine more people have now just heard you saying that than were ever aware that there was a review of Witcher 2 (laughs) on the Kane and Rinse homepage so uh, so yes go and read Josh's review after if you if you still want to hear a bit more or uh, or how young and fresh-faced and naive he was back in 2012 (laughs) yeah so Sean how Mm. about you yeah similar to Josh I heard Vinny over on Giant Bomb and I think we mentioned this in the last show but just a lot of word of mouth about um, this game through different podcasts I was listening to so uh, I didn't have um, any kind of PC at the time that could play something like this so I waited until the 360 version came out and rented that and got through about maybe an hour or two of it and I just I, I don't know I think thinking back what thinking back to what Jay was saying about how he never he didn't play the earlier ones so he didn't have any context like I don't think this game starts off well with giving you any kind of context of what's going on so I 
played mm-hmm. those two hours and mm-hmm. kind of just bailed on it. And then after playing the first one a few weeks ago, or was that a month ago now for the for the show, a bit for more. the podcast, I was really excited actually to check out the second game just to see how you know all the choices would. Um, uh, come through so I had a PC version ready and well I thought it was ready <laughs> and then I fired it up and it um, it wasn't really playing well with my PC for some reason I was having a lot Ooh. of frame rate issues even though it's a newer PC but you know whatever so I still had a I think I, Microsoft gave away uh, free copies of of The Witcher 2 for some reason I can't remember why so I had a copy of it on my uh, Xbox One and played that through all the way through the last few weeks yeah they did give it away it mm. was something to do with it wasn't a games with gold it was something to do with yeah. it being one of the first multi-disc backwards compatible oh, games and they yeah, had no okay. way of selling it they did the same mm. with um lost odyssey as well didn't right. they? Um, yeah mm-hmm. which is always, always worth keeping your eyes open for these things. sure yeah. uh yes yeah, so i did have my first i think i had a copy of uh which two back in early 2013 on my pc and i only just had a look at it was uh, again a case of getting a new PC and wanting to see the graphics, but uh, but I put it to one side. And I'd always has this this intention of playing the first game uh, before I played the second game, which I've now done. So yeah, effectively it's been on ice for several years, and uh, I started playing it pretty much the second I finished playing The Witcher One uh, for this podcast. Uh, so and I completed it about a week ago as the the final part. Although overall the game took more hours than we'd been led to believe. Um, by how long to beat perhaps that's to do with my playstyle and so on the last chapter kind of suddenly flew by I was expecting the last chapter to last nearly as long as the second chapter but it really didn't and uh, so I had <laughs> like a week to spare um, so I probably could have done more stuff as it turns out but uh, we'll get into that as well obviously uh, Josh has already said it but yes uh, we'll give you a spoiler warning we won't go into every piece of minutiae regarding the plot but we will say certain things uh, also famously this is a branching game this one more than the others in the series has a very particular branch where the rest of your game varies wildly and I believe from consulting with the others that we all took the same branch <laughs> yeah. uh, so apologies for that listeners but it's important that we play the game for ourselves as we want to play them rather than try and manufacture a situation where we've each played half and half or something like that so hopefully we'll hear from at least one person from the community who played the other branch but mainly we'll talk about why we chose the branch we chose Uh, Mauricio from the forum MM says the first Witcher game became for me a promising foundation for a great franchise so much in fact that I had to drop any other pending games in my backlog to try The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings right after the first game I rarely do something like this in order to witness as soon as possible how far CD Projekt Red managed to take the IP in terms of quality as I previously said in my comments about the first game what first hooked me to this game series were a couple of screenshots from this sequel screenshots that showed me a promising intriguing adult oriented and even folkloric experience unlike any other games back then when i started playing it the first obvious thing that i noticed was how damn good it looked in a time where the crisis game series was pushing the envelope for computer graphics i wasn't really expecting to see something kind of similar happen with a not quite mainstream rpg the improved graphics engine enhanced the whole game atmosphere and art direction through the use of vivid colors right amount of visual contrast a very detailed texture quality richly made locations and finely tuned camera work on most of the cutscenes all of which turned The Witcher 2 into an outstanding cinematic experience. So yeah, I was struck. I went obviously from the enhanced edition of Witcher 1, 2007 game, 2008 game, running obviously at 
everything at maximum. We talked about the, the visuals and uh, I think overall we weren't wildly impressed, although we said that there were a couple of areas later in the game which were mm-hmm. which were slightly more pleasing on the eye. But uh, to go immediately from The Witcher 1 to The Witcher 2 and again, everything running at, at um, maximum settings uh, for me at 1920 by 1080, it was eye-poppingly yeah it was like it was it wasn't like four years later or whatever the gap between right. three or four years between the game yeah. it looked like like multiple generations apart this mm. was everything you know, texture detail face rendering animation scenery grass mm-hmm. incidental details particle effects everything it was just yeah uh, and having now started playing witcher 3 which looks frankly jaw-dropping on my current pc witcher 2 still looks really really nice yeah uh, up up until now if people always would say like uh you know what's the most improved sequel and a lot of people Mm. would usually usually say assassin's creed 2 over assassin's creed 1 and this totally like changes it for me and at least in terms of just visuals alone like it's just a it's a, it it's almost feels like an entirely different studio. <laughs> like, yeah. Like just from, they learned just so from much. the first off. They did. It's, it's really impressive. The key for me is that it's not just a, a technical achievement. The the art direction has a consistency yeah, here absolutely. that The Witcher 1 just did not have. Like all the characters feel like they're part of the same universe. Right. Um, yeah. The architecture <laughs> feels consistent. The environments mm. feel lived in and, and all of that stuff. It's The first game was lacking that cohesion that feels that this game has in abundance like everything feels connected to each other even though i played the 360 version there was several scenes where i was kind of impressed by Mm -hmm. what they were pulling off because all the time you're playing it you're thinking you have to remember that this was 2012 this was right yeah you know and all the time i was kind of reminding myself that you know you you can compare it to modern games of course you're going to do that to a point but you know, it's always looking back and thinking like, yeah, yeah. And it was the scene at the very beginning where you've got the um, the battle going on and you've got the big mm-hmm. um, trebuchets going off in the yeah. background. And although they're completely background furniture, they're just, but they're they're fully animated and they're off guard yeah. and you just see them throwing boulders everywhere. And it was that level of where it was, it was given the sense of depth to the battlefield. Like, and I, I feel this is something that CD Projekt Red do every game is they don't just sort of incrementally go up a notch they yeah. they really do ramp up every game that they seem to make they learn from and really excel in the next title after that and and yeah it was i was quite taken with it surprised really i wasn't expecting it to be quite as um mm-hmm. evocative as it, as it turned out in certain scenes yeah they, they do a smart thing in the in that intro where um so you know it starts off with you and, and tris in bed and mm. and then he comes in he opens out he opens the tent and it's like a bethesda yeah. kind of moment where it's like he opens it up and you just see this gigantic battlefield out of nowhere and it's like coming from witcher mm. one even though like you know i went from three to one to two now and um yeah. it's still like it was just a, it's a perfect way to show you how much they've uh, evolved yeah, and obviously yeah, Jay went from playing the PS4 version of Witcher 3 going right, back to yeah. the 360 version of Witcher 2. I've gone from PC to PC, which is uh, obviously it's a slightly different 
consideration because of mm-hmm. because of the multiple visual settings you can tweak. One of the things I thought about uh, Witcher 2 was that, and, and it makes perfect sense, but a lot of the places you spend time early on in the game, particularly in the middle chapter as well, are a bit drab and dreary and they're meant yeah. to be. Like yeah, they uh, They've actually thought about the fact that if you have thousands of marching feet on a place, it turns it into... A bog Mush, into yeah. mud, yeah. Uh, but obviously that means that it's not necessarily such a pretty place. You do get to go out into the wild somewhat, uh, and it's also worth saying for those those people who have only played The Witcher Three and haven't played the second one. Although this has uh, slightly more open areas overall, I'd say than the first game, it's still very much a case of uh, locked off sections. Yep. Uh, and and even The Witcher Three isn't like it isn't one contiguous world like Breath of the Wild. There's still uh, separate sections, but here it's still more apparent that you're in you're in this part of the world right now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you will have to transition um but when i got to the uh, some of the sections in the in uh, towards the the end of the game there are some caves and stuff which are just beautiful not not quite photoreal but you know heading yeah. in that direction and and um incredibly pleasing on the eye and and yeah dripping with atmosphere yeah and on the art design i think josh is absolutely right it was uh, it's way more it felt way more consistent more professional mm-hmm. more skillful more adept mm-hmm. to me um, from the forum, guitarist says, I love the colour palette of the second instalment. CD Projekt Red had an opportunity to show off how far they'd taken the series visually and they really went for it. I love how the lurid costumes and pennants of the Northern Armies contrast with the obsidian ornamentation of the Nilfgaardians and how it all clashes with the blood, mud and guts of the battlefield. The ancient majesty of Loch Muin juxtaposed against these horrid, soiled and screaming harpies that greet your arrival was also an arresting moment. I felt this unique style was something lost in the third game. Wild Hunt is beautiful in its own way, but it's murky brown and grey palette of so many fantasy sequels set in the aftermath of war, and it lost a lot of its charm. That's Kintaris's opinion. We'll come to that in uh, in six weeks or whenever it is. Mm. Uh, Tadinio says, I really like the colour palette used in Witcher 2. All the colours really pop, and I really like the armour, weapons, and monster designs that all manage to look really cool and unique. Mm. One thing I would criticise is, in some areas, particularly early on, uh, I think there's a slight over-reliance on bloom i think it was very popular at the time it was yeah Yeah, and it's everything's kind of glaring at you yeah that's definitely a a, a victim of being from that generation like i remember gears uh got really heavy on the bloom as it went along through each series too so it's just something that came from that generation it didn't really uh take it away too much for me but i don't know no, you become accustomed to it yeah, uh, yeah. as as eyes come become accustomed to the dial, and it's possibly something on a PC you can actually tweak if if you uh, if mm-hmm. you want to mess around with the options. So, if I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky, and and mm-hmm. again, this is kind of comparing it to The Witcher Three, you you have these really detailed character models, like the you know the texture on their cloth, the texture on their yeah, skin, their yeah. hair, everything. The facial animation is not. I don't think is that great. There is a bit of like puppet like moving lips and not really expressing the mm-hmm. emotions that the character is feeling in that moment. But yeah. that that gets massively improved in the next entry. Uh, yeah, oh, for sure. I, I still think going from one to two, it's it's still a pretty decent step up oh, as well. But it's yeah. it, but at least for the time, you know, I think Last of Us must have came out right around that time too. So, you know, it, it's nothing like on that kind of level. But yeah. L.A. Noir as well, I suppose, but right, obviously that yeah. was its own specific technology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And actually, there are some cutscenes, and I don't know whether this was fixed on fixed on 360 or whether uh, it's a, just a a bug that you may or may not be afflicted by. But I had a number of occasions where characters' lips simply weren't moving when they were talking. Mm. 
Um, I don't know if that's just something that I've never been addressed in certain scenes. But of course, uh, next big transformation compared to the first game. We talked about how the first game was. We didn't actually go into that much depth about it, but it it was. We, we talked about how it was controlled with mouse and keys. But actually, mm. by default, the first game is pretty much like an over-the-shoulder, almost kind of Diablo perspective game. Right, you yeah. can you can move the camera about, and I ended up playing it in a more classically modern third person style but actually by default it was very much more you you were kind of expected to have the camera further out and up from the action mm-hmm. whereas here you're very much into the realms of uh although it's still absolutely an rpg in lots of ways it's more a third person character action kind of game controller support is fully implemented mm-hmm. now uh, and when even when you play it on a pc you can play it with a 360 pad and it knows straight away and it knows all the buttons and it is designed entirely around being played with a controller although you can traditionalists can still play of course on on the pc with a mouse and keys but uh, it's not not my my choice um and so, yeah so it so it leads it into being a more uh yeah a more classically uh, a more video gamey game i suppose rather than a computer game if you want to make that distinction mm-hmm. uh so you have a dodge button and uh, a medium and a hard attack they've taken out all the stuff with the different schools of combat uh and yeah i think uh compared to other games now like i suppose if you compared it directly to a from software game or something like that yeah, in terms yeah. of in terms of direct control you would probably say it comes up lacking but compared mm-hmm. to its predecessor and other games <laughs> of a similar nature uh, it feels like uh, a, a decent step forward uh, combat always felt a little i don't know i don't know what the word is glitchy is is not really mm. th- that right a word but it, it it often felt like things weren't fully interacting with each other correctly or or connecting properly it still felt like the game was more as much concerned about stats as it was about uh, animation and stuff like that which I think is probably accurate but overall um, I had no major issues with, with the controls in this game and the actual uh, on on Geralt um, save maybe just remembering what all the keys did to get mm. to get into the various uh, places for me the one thing that bothered me very specifically was it's there's got to be a word for it I don't know if you guys know but it's it's that where you're you're moving a character and then you let go of the stick and then he keeps going a couple more steps yeah um i don't know if there's a word for that or not but you guys know what i'm talking about momentum i suppose yeah. sure yeah yeah, yeah. If he, he concludes his animation yeah, yeah. after you yeah. let go of, of the control and and i don't know sometimes that really got to me just just with just general navigation around the the, the areas um it was never like too distort too destructive of, of for my uh my enjoyment of the game but mm-hmm. um that would get to me sometimes in in regards to the control, it, it, what was interesting to me is that when I first started playing this, I, I was thinking it was really sluggish in the combat and it was really mm-hmm. basic. But then I quickly realized as you get those perks and as you yeah. unlock yeah. abilities in the sword play, that yeah. it adds more animation to his, it to does, his yeah. movement. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 the combat started to feel far more uh, intuitive when I was fighting and stuff. And he's far more sort of, um, you know, he, he's got all these various flourishes that he would start mm-hmm. to sort of add into the combat and stuff. And, and I've, sort of several hours in, I realized that it wasn't an issue. With It was a deliberate thing at the beginning of the game as you yeah. start to sort of focus on sword play. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, assuming you do or unlock that stuff, because... That was, you know, you can yeah, choose. Yeah, yeah well. exactly. Yeah. So, 
you know, I spent a lot of my points on unlocking that stuff. And by the end of it, he did feel quite like he was very effective in the fights rather than kind of sluggish and a bit mm. like cumbersome in the fight. It's uh, it's 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 not Bayonetta uh, and, and it's not trying to be. Uh, but obviously, when you when you give the player direct control, you are just you can't help but compare the feel of, of it course, to other yeah. things. And I think for me, these games help me understand a little why games like it's it's a cliche, but games do that thing. I'm thinking whether it's Metroid or Prototype or, or all sorts of other things. They give you all the powers in a little <laughs> cameo at the start yeah. in a little segment to make you realize that there's a lot more to come. Whereas if you just give the player this really stiff, awkward, underpowered character from the start, mm-hmm. they're quite likely to assume that that's how the game's going to feel. Yeah. Uh, and I know, I'm, I'm going to talk about this when we cover The Witcher 3, but I know two people who have walked away from Witcher 3 really early because they were having no fun mm. uh, being Geralt. And yeah. I wonder if maybe if they had, so, you know, they did the sort of thing, a flash forward or, or whatever, however mm. they justified it, where they gave you the ability to carve things apart and render things asunder with magic and all that sort of yeah. thing at the start, rather than being this kind of weak. And, and we, I think this, this game also, a bit like I found in Witcher 1, has a bit of a reverse difficulty curve as well in that yeah. mm. the game actually gets easier as you go along, depending on your choices, I guess. Yeah. I think something they struggle with throughout the entire series is just educating the player about the mechanics and... and, um, and the depth of those mechanics because um, it's it's easy to forget that Witcher 2 when it originally launched didn't have any tutorial stuff at all it just kind of launched straight into the prologue and you had to kind of figure out how to engage with combat, how to block, how to use signs. I mean, I think there were a few prompts in the original mm. uh, release, but nothing as extensive as as there is now. Yeah, and, and I do think The Witcher 3 suffers from this. The Witcher 1 definitely suffers from this as well. Mm. It's just the, these games do struggle to kind of yeah. tutorialize and, and educate and introduce mechanics that are fun, that are engaging and, and, and um, you know, and, and there's depth there but at first it feels like you feel so underpowered and so weak and lacking in the the necessary mm-hmm. skills to take on the enemies that the game is presenting you um i think the there's also the issue of the the level of difficulty which you choose to play with this as well mm. because it the combat if you're putting it on the harder settings you are going to struggle with some other fights because yeah. you're swamped and you don't necessarily have the level of understanding that's required to get out of those messes. Right, yeah. And you can find yourself getting frustrated because you're just getting killed over and over again. Yeah. But you play it on easy, it's a little, it, obviously it's a lot more forgiving in that sense. But I, even I, I played this on easy. Yeah. And I was surprised early on how many times I died. Yep, like, same here. Yeah. And it was like, I was thinking if I'd up this, to like, even if I try this on the harder setting, this is going to be really difficult to get through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if that's not your thing, then I would say, you know, this is not a game that is going to help you if you want to start on normal mm-hmm. or even if you're a glutton for punishment starting on a harder difficulty. Yeah. Like, it's not a forgive. And like what Josh is saying about the tutorials, definitely, like, that is, yeah, something that I found even with regards to where the story is, it doesn't give you any kind of setup or anything. It is literally right. Here we go. Bang. Off you go. And (laughs) it's only 
like I didn't find that uncomfortable or, or have an issue with it because I'd immersed myself over the last couple of years in Witcher lore. So mm. all this stuff was clicking. When you remove yourself from that and you think like, what would this be like if I didn't know anything, anything. about these characters? Yeah. It's like, yeah. really, you just chucked right into the deep end with this stuff. And <laughs> it's not a good setup at all. And yeah. it took me longer than I would be particularly comfortable with to get my head around the menu systems and mm-hmm. the upgrades and what these things did and how they affected gameplay. A lot of it was just trial and error. On the subject of difficulty, Kintaris says Assassins of Kings also has a place in my heart for being the first game since Metal Gear Solid 3, in which I enjoyed the gameplay and the world so much that I was compelled to restart on the hardest difficulty mode. I'm not normally a fan of torturing myself with harder difficulties in games unless they are built as an arcade-like experience, but I really enjoyed the swordplay and strategy involved in playing Geralt and wanted to test my limits. The combat was such an improvement over the first instalment, Uh, And it was in this dark mode that the strategic use of Geralt's limited magical abilities came to the fore. I also enjoyed the risk and reward involved in hunting down each act's unique dark armour, only available in dark mode and difficult to track down. Making the effort to put it all together gave you an edge in the game's tougher battles. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I had a few other glitches as well. Things like um, some cutscene craziness where characters are kind of bimbling around in the background clipping off into furniture (laughs) and and into other characters um there's a a persistent problem which is where you go through a door and uh and the camera has to kind of lock in behind you as (laughs) you finish closing the door and it feels really clunky and inelegant and even worse is there's some bits where uh you're you're, you've teamed up with a with an ai character and they can run through a door but then they leave the door open and you and you're not allowed to go through the door until it's closed and (laughs) talking about the difficulty of sort of getting into it uh, the emailer from the forum ironically says i'm in love with witcher 3 and have now read the books but i couldn't get invested in witcher 2 despite feeling it could be great the start of the game didn't draw me into the law and i couldn't grasp the systems maybe i'm inexperienced with these rpgs but i found myself on wikia loads trying to understand the mechanics world and characters which wasn't especially fun eventually after getting stuck on a boss eight hours in and having very limited time for games damn thesis i never went back the witcher 3 is a much easier game to get into from scratch the prologue explains the systems well but not at a glacial pace and there's a clear motivation with two well-explained npcs the shaving scene cleverly references previous plot points to hook you into now that i'm invested i will probably go back to two and i imagine i'll like it a lot uh you mentioned the menus jay mm-hmm. I, I i never really uh, thought these were that well done in witcher 2 like in by by the end or you know by a number of hours in i was okay mm-hmm. with them but for the first 10 20 hours the amount of times i unequipped my boots because it just <laughs> yeah. isn't really clear where where you've highlighted on the menu and it just seems to default to hovering over boots and if you just click on that you drop your boots so uh yeah just silly things like that um and and again having now started on the three just all of this stuff is so much more more uh plain and elegant and the fact that there's like three different menus as well like there's a start menu which is just save and load and all that there's Mm. the inventory menu which is the back button on the controller and then there's the meditation menu as well it's just like there's so many things to have to remember and every time you want to save, you have to tap down five times on a D-pad as well. Right. Is, yeah, and stuff like that. Go into the map, take several taps as well, yep. several clicks. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe this is betraying its uh, lineage as a PC game with, with mouse and keyboard controls. Um, yeah, there's probably right. a lot of key shortcuts that maybe hardcore PC gamers are now saying, well, you should have just pressed this key. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't want to. No. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably my least favorite um 
potion mechanic out of the free games as well. Right. Because in The Witcher 1, you make a potion and then you can take it in combat and yes. yeah, hunky-dory, it's great. Yeah. Witcher 3, same thing, make a potion and then you can take it in combat. Fine. Witcher 2, you have to go into the meditation menu mm-hmm. and then... take potions in preparation for a battle that you have like you better be I I don't know how people do that because whenever (laughs) I'm aware of a battle situation I'm already in it or close enough that the enemy gets aggroed so I don't know how I'm meant to have that kind of precognition to prepare (laughs) these potions tingling (laughs) and then go into battle it it, it just seems like a very awkward evolution of that system when they already nailed it in the first one when i when i said earlier the amount of times i died it was specifically because i had no ability to heal myself during a fight because i couldn't take swallow without going into meditation you can't meditate when you're in a fight right the other time i was genuinely aghast at how like (laughs) what the hell am i supposed to do with it there's no food either so even though it was a bit ineffectual like food is way more more effective in three than it was in one but at least you could you know, munch on a on a, on a carrot yeah. or something in the middle of a fight to get a tiny bit yeah. of health back. But yeah, this this game is weird in that. And part of me sort of quite likes the idea that you have to be constantly thinking about what might happen next. But but it's not very player friendly, even if it's kind of law friendly. Also, you can poison yourself going around taking potions. Uh, Mauricio MM says one thing that surprised me a lot was how its gameplay systems, which are two, changed mostly for the better. Even though I initially missed some of the tactical advantages from the first game, this was compensated with a more exciting system that demanded quick reflexes and rewarded preparation. At the highest difficulties, in order to be truly victorious, you needed good reaction times, despite the annoying animation response times, to know when to use which potions, bombs and oils to have a good handle on signs, the witcher's magic abilities. Definitely a great improvement says Mauricio, uh, which overall, uh, certainly I enjoyed the actual playing of the combat more, but I totally agree with the idea that not being prescient about, you know, not knowing necessarily what's going to happen means that the, I, th- I, I think I ended up just rolling back on saves a lot of the time, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, this, this game just stacks dozens and dozens and dozens of saves to the point that if you if you're playing on good old games where it uploads and syncs your saves to to the cloud, which is you know nice to know, nice to know they're safe. Uh, but once you start to once you've been playing a while, you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, so it takes ages. So you end up going through them all and deleting them, which is tedious. Sound of music. There's some really nice audio in the first game. I think we talked about some mm-hmm. some some of it less forgettable, but but some tunes that were really pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'd say for me, some of the music was uh, less memorable than than other tracks. It wasn't a soundtrack where I just felt that I had to immediately own it and listen to it all. Um, but there were some pieces that certainly uh, fit the atmosphere nicely. Some yeah. obviously it felt a bit a bit more luxurious and and uh, yeah. well budgeted compared to the first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, the the sound the audio. Uh, much richer in terms of atmospherics and environment everything yeah, felt much sure. more solid whereas the previous game had very much the sound of a of a first half of the 2000s game where <laughs> kind of everything's yeah. got its very blatant sound effect and it doesn't yeah. really feel like you're in a real place yeah, i think that's something that no bass. Has, yeah no bass <laughs> and weird footsteppy noises that yeah. are very so yeah it's 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 kind of it, i think that's one of the facets of video games that's come on perhaps 
more than has been really discussed and appreciated mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. ambient sound and, and um, mm-hmm. diegetic effects and things yeah. like that but yeah so uh, I haven't got anything particularly insightful to say about sound overall but uh, but it definitely did a good job we'll talk about the voice performances separately yeah the only thing in regards to the general sound was on the console on the 360 version there, mm. it seemed to be a very odd mix at times it seemed really, that some of the yeah. NPCs were really loud yeah. Yeah. and oh, like to the yes. point where there was a real imbalance in people's voice volume and stuff yeah. so sometimes mm-hmm. you'd walk in and the sort of background noise would be quite overpowering and yeah no it, you're it, absolutely right yeah. yeah there were definitely times where i was like and I, I found myself because you've only got a certain number of set you've only got like music um voice and sound effects Overall options mm-hmm. Yeah, so I ended up having to keep mute, dropping the sound on the TV because it, some of it just seemed imbalanced. It just, yeah. uh, you know, but not, again, not a massive issue. But it, and it was really the only time I particularly noticed it was in the first two sections. So in the prologue mm-hmm. and Flotsam. Um, Actually, were... it was an issue because genuinely I don't play with subtitles on and there were right. two key scenes where I couldn't actually hear what, the plot was that was being explained oh, yeah. to me, and right. then I had and then I had to make choices. So yeah, it is it is a problem if the sound yeah. balance is wrong. Yeah, and this game also does that thing that that a lot of games did back then, which is where a lot of the NPCs only had maybe one or two lines, so yes. you'd run by them and they'd all say the same thing over and over again. Especially in um in uh Edern as Edern the second area. Yeah, I'm trying to remember all the names. Okay, and well, yeah. <laughs> there's that there's that Odin side quest or or Od- what was his name? Oh, sorry, I keep doing that. Odrin or something so like there's three drunk guys yep. around just walking around yeah. Odrin and it's like really mm, irritating yeah. to hear and the guy just outside the camp who's who's always saying not another stone or whatever it is over and <laughs> over again yeah which is sort of, I think maybe it's a, a deliberate gag but yeah Josh, anything to say on the uh, audio side, music-wise? Um, you guys have pretty much covered it, but I, I do appreciate that weapons clang in a satisfying mm. way now, mm. Yes. whereas before it was very swishy-swashy and, and, yeah. and not very yeah. impactful. Uh, Tadinho from the forum says, also, while the soundtrack of the first game didn't catch my attention, the soundtrack of the second is definitely a highlight. Uh, so let's talk characters and cast and performances. Uh, so I think uh, overall, taking a, a holistic view, uh, I think things have come on a long way. Also, scripting, I suppose we should we should bring into this as well. I think the the writing, obviously, there's a lot. I, I think there's probably more of it, even though maybe the game is shorter, but there's it's more densely written. Uh, there's a lot more you know, political intrigue and and so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah. And I'm not going to say I was a fan of every single exchange or every line in the game or every performance in the game, but overall, yeah. uh, I think again leaps and bounds had been been made, mm. and overall it it was um, it was you know it's it's probably not Wolf Hall or something, but it's uh, but it's closer to Game of Thrones than the first game was, I guess. Well, I'd wondered yeah. about that, um, and I, I wonder if this is also what has led to a certain level of the success of of The Witcher as well is that Game mm. of Thrones has become a big thing. I'm sure, and a, because there's certainly by the next game they they are definitely into Game of Thrones, yeah. Because there's references yeah. left, right, and center. But um, when this game came out, 2011 was just around about. I guess the first season had been on at that point, mm-hmm. and so it must have been playing whilst they were making it. But it would have been, I would imagine, at the tail end of their development rather than they may the, have read the books. I suppose the F- Song of Fire and Ice. Yeah, but I feel that the TV series has had a, a particular effect. The regionalization mm-hmm. of of 
accents and stuff is definitely something that you feel they've taken their cue from from that show and most of the names in the cast aren't people who are i would say household names uh i noticed one that stands out to me is peter egan mm. the uh, english actor who used to be in a, a famous british sitcom and has also been in uh, some uh some quite high profile stuff in in recent times as a character actor obviously doug cockle returns as Geralt, mm. and uh in this is in the english language version we can't speak for the uh, the polish original of course because mm. we all played it in english i assume uh and i feel like uh his performance was improved over the yeah, first although absolutely. still not uh still not flawless and i'm still not a fan of the the accent no <laughs> yeah, offense to yeah. no offense to her american uh, contingent no, but I, it doesn't I'm... work it doesn't work for me no. for the um for the story for the environment oh no i was gonna say that <laughs> as being the only american on the podcast um i think the two americans are honestly the worst parts of the cast um right. between Geralt, I think, is actually, or Doug Cockle, I think, uh, improved significantly. Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, I would say that, significantly over the first Mm. one. But, oh, man, Dandelion is just... I, I don't understand why they went with this this voice actor. I have no offense to the actor himself, but like, like you'd go through all this like epic dialogue between all these people with all the different accents, and then you get to the um, either a scene with him or the chapter break specifically, and, and he just like cuts to him and he's like, Geralt of Rivia is traveling along the rivers. I think, know, yeah. Like, I mean, so Johnny awful. Schwab is the man. Yeah. The, the thing that I've always found about dandelion's character was that he just sounded too modern he didn't yeah, sound like yeah and and that's even getting over the fact that tris and you know several of the characters have american accents mm. like it even like i don't mind doug cockle in this i mean if the very first time i started playing it or the very first time i sat and watched uh, somebody playing the witcher it did make me think why uh, why is he why because yeah. i'm, I'm You've got so many other characters that feel that, like right. a better mm-hmm. fit for the world they've created. Yeah, uh, you know, and then you've got these sort of several American characters, and I, I don't, I, I have baffled as to why that choice was made. But yeah. um, I don't mind the cockle in this, uh, but Dandelion's character for sure. I, I think the the actress uh, who plays Trish benefits from comparison because I think she's a much better uh, actress than mm. uh, what we had in the first Witcher. Mm. Um, but still, that there is that kind of weird contrast between all these. Like you've got um, Vernon Roach, who I think is like I think the vocal performance for that character is really Excellent. spot on, yeah. fantastic. And he feels very much, you know, obviously he's not, there's a lot of modern kind of language in there, but Mm -hmm. he feels kind of period appropriate, the kind of Mm -hmm. gruff, but also kind of educated British voice. Um, And then you have Trish and and it just does sound like somebody from a coastal city of America. (laughs) And it it just doesn't work. And maybe you could make the argument of like, you know, the sorceresses are you know, beyond kind of this period and they are more forward thinking and hence the more modern accent. But it feels like they even like acknowledge that this was a poor casting choice when it comes to Yennefer in, yeah. in The Witcher 3, where she has, you know, a much more typical English accent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a weird one. I don't think it sinks the ship. I, I, and I do certainly think the, you know, the vocal performances across the board are considerably stronger mm-hmm. and I think you know starting out the game with King Foltest is a great kind of statement of intent because that guy just you know walking around the place 
effing yeah. and jeffing <laughs> and yeah. um and telling everyone who's boss and he's got the really like strong um kind of gruff tough english accent and and yeah, i yeah. love it and i love that stuff I, and zolt yeah. and zoltan's accent as well i think is really strong here and mm. yeah, I think there's more good than bad, but the, those little bad points do stand out. Uh, Alexander Morton, I think, is the the voice actor who does Zoltan, and he's possibly one of my favourite characters in the series. I think mm. he's just I love his character. In regards to the sort of the voice acting stuff, I read rather listened to a lot of the the audio books of the Witcher mm. series, and I have to give them a shout out, even though they're not video game, but they are incredible. Like uh, Peter Kenny, a British actor who voices every character in this in these books, he does a, a genuinely stunning job of it, and it's interesting to hear the audiobooks version of these characters. And I have to say, their voices, his voices, fit far better than the game characters do, um, particularly with character, particularly with Geralt, particularly with even Siri and. Um, you know, characters that will throughout the series. It's just, ah, oh, yeah, really stunning job. Yeah, I think for me, Mark Healy as Roach uh, was was one of the standouts, but I also mm. enjoyed Death Mold. David Annan as Death Mold. Uh, there are mm. a couple of overly it's right excellent. moments, but I think that, um, and, and I thought his voice sounded slightly too young for his face, but that kind of <laughs> made sense as well because he's kind of wizardy. And yeah, uh, yeah but he obviously, yeah. he obviously had fun with, with what is a kind yeah. of um, classic, uh, you know the the worm tongue kind of yeah. role in thing. Even his name seems a little bit overboard, but a little bit on the nose, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think he's called uh, in. He's called Det Mold, but I don't know if that just means Death Mold uh, in sure. the Polish version. Uh, Mauricio says the basis for this game's narrative material were the style, characters, and lore of Andrzej Sapkowski's books. But CDPR took said material to an interesting place, a sort of alternate, unofficial sequel to the book's storyline, where it could be possible to expand the lore in a respectful but creative manner. Even after all these years, I still think they managed to make one of the most engaging and well-constructed stories ever told in a video game. Despite how modest their first Witcher game was, you could tell from it that with more experience and resources, they could have had the possibility to build an even more interesting living world filled with more intriguing stories and even more complex characters, a potential that they fortunately lived up to for the most part. Storylines like the Kingslayer's deeds and motives, the Cursed Battlefield and the Mage's Summit, and characters like Bernard Laredo, Vest, Deathmold, Sheila de Tanserville, Letho, and especially Vernon Roach and the Orvet. The, the game's two narrative heavyweights and my favourite characters in the game are testaments of both CDPR's talent as game creators and the value of their experience with the previous game. Oh, and did I mention that this game is pretty funny as well? It has great comic delivery and timing, unlike some of the jokes of the first game. It's also very quotable. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk story, character motivations mm. and, and things like that uh, without going into absolute nitty gritty yeah, of every story yeah. beat, because that's the thing that takes forever. But... Go on, Jay. You're busting at the seams, I can tell. When I first started playing The Witcher's games, I hadn't any knowledge of the source material. And what right. I've yeah. come to realise, I mean, there are five books in The Witcher saga. I've, I've got three. The two, one came, the, the last two came out 2016 and 2017. I have no idea at this point whether they've done audio versions of them. Hmm. Um but what's interesting is that I'd always assumed that they were kind of taking elements of the books and turning them into chapters, levels, whatever, of mm -hmm. the game. But that's not the case. All the games take place after. You know, when you look at how we often criticize a lot of development 
or developers for bad writing and stuff and and, mm. and story progression and, and, and yeah. characterizations and stuff. I think they do. I mean, okay, with the characters, you could argue that they've they've got this great source material to work from and they are mm-hmm. basically just doing adaptations. But in terms of the stories that the games tell, this is all their stuff. Yeah. And I'm really impressed by it. I think, you know, the way these stories draw you in, I don't think CD Projekt Red get enough credit for how good their writing and their characterizations are in terms of like expanding upon the novels and mm. i think it's I, I was i'm really taken with how good this stuff gets yeah. you know across the two games that i play yeah i think for me the witcher 2 the the core story um is probably my favorite out of the three games i mm. think the witcher 3 benefit because it has that open world and loads of side missions and or of course the dlc as well it benefits from having lots of really fascinating off the beaten path storylines that kind of uh, overall kind of edges it out for me as as my favorite in terms of storytelling but if we're talking about the core narrative the the actual thing driving the player mm. forward i think the witcher 2 has you know it's the most interesting part of game of thrones yeah. like the witcher yeah, 3 yeah. is overly focused on the white walkers whereas this is um <laughs> okay. this is okay. the the conflict that people love game of thrones for it's right. that political intrigue it's yeah. that kingdoms clashing and and people trying to maneuver chess pieces so that they can gain more power and and influence over the land and its people and as an example of that kind of storytelling i think it's really strong i think all of the characters come together in uh, some really like brutal and fascinating way like death molds kind of even though we kind of laughed about his name and stuff like his his influence over the the plot of this game is mm-hmm. really fascinating yeah. and and he works as kind of a machiavellian figure kind of in the background the threat that you you should have been paying attention to but right. weren't really and and lefo is just i think is a much more compelling antagonist than we had in the first game like his kind of motivations his background his connection to mm. Geralt makes him much mm-hmm. more interesting it's the fact that all the characters are varying shades of grey as opposed yeah, to black exactly. and white and yeah. I think it's and all the characters seem to offer their motivations like even mm-hmm. Laredo who is quite a despicable you know as, as so many of the characters are they're quite despicable <laughs> people yeah. and do abhorrent incredibly nasty things but you always feel to some extent they explain why these characters are doing what they do now you may not empathize with them and you may not like you still might end up killing them it doesn't matter but it's just the fact that the game takes the time to to give a bit more depth to even the most abhorrent characters in the game yeah and and that's what i've always taken away from these things is is how i like that they do this i like that they put that work into it while i don't disagree with anything of what you're saying about the 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 sort of intrigue of the story and the the idea that these political and and warlike sort of uh, maneuverings are are what makes an interesting fantasy story. Obviously, I'm I'm not a games of Game of Thrones watcher, but I understand that's a lot of the appeal as well as the the sex and the gore and all the other good stuff that we love, uh, which which it has too uh, in spades. Um, I personally had a problem with the story being my motivation because Mm, mm -hmm. I didn't I understand that 
as a witcher you're basically a mercenary and that you don't come down on a on a particular side and in this case there's no you know no one's really good there's lot, right, lots yeah. of bad I, and i think the reason why i'm one of the reasons i'm probably going to be somebody who has uh, a favorite at the end of the trilogy rather than in the middle is because I just wanted to go witchering a lot of the time mm -hmm. and I found myself being a, a a very small pawn in all these things and I was often I was wondering what am I what what is my motivation here well, like I'm def I'm defending people I hate I'm working with people <laughs> I hate I'm yeah. killing people I like in some cases or or not or don't hate and yeah. I just you start to I start to disengage from Geralt uh, and yeah. and also there there becomes some uh, uh, Ludo narrative dissonance um, <laughs> when he is coming across like a gruff, emotionless, albeit person with a you know a good heart on some level, and then he will just throw all that away for fifty orans if the mission demands it, mm. kind of thing. So uh, those are where my issues lay, and and I just got I got a little bored with all the political machinations when I mm. wanted to go off into the countryside and hunt monsters. I think <laughs> I think maybe it's it's a it's a detriment to the game's um uh storytelling in a way that i think that the, they were trying to sell the the, the girl's motives would be that he would get his memory back if he if he goes after letho yes. and maybe they didn't focus enough on that for you to yeah. get that uh, connection yeah i guess again even though i decided to play witcher one first and go through the series to get invested i didn't really find myself there, there was there's no real anguish in Geralt having amnesia he yeah, doesn't yeah. Just, he, because he's quite it's emotionless only... he doesn't display it, it's not like god if only I could remember this is so painful right. this hurts so much not being able and, to remember mm, but then of course it, if you can't remember it doesn't hurt it's like yeah being a, you know Alzheimer's sufferers don't feel the pain of having that person there in the room well we don't know that they do because sure. they don't know who it is kind of thing so he's kind of going I feel like I ought to remember um, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think there's there's a clear and i'm assuming this is in the first game as well the sort of the teasing of the amnesia thing and the mm -hmm. the wild hunt and and yennefer and all that kind of stuff it, it's a difficult thing because certain characters like yennefer and they play a lot bigger role in in the witcher saga of books and this narrative thread that goes through and culminates with with the third game isn't very well developed it's mm -hmm. kind of the you're kind of where it where I enjoyed it was the here and now the stuff that is exclusive to to the to the game itself not mm. the kind of ongoing thread where he's trying yeah. to get his memory back but I understand that yeah I I totally agree that that stuff could have been done a lot better than it was yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the point that's being made here is that The Witcher Two isn't really Geralt's game at all I think mm, this game mm, belongs mm. to the supporting cast and true, everything yeah. I love about this game is to do with the supporting cast it's to do yeah. with that political plot and Geralt almost ends up just being the camera on the Game of Thrones set with mm. which we view the events of what's going on and yes he has yeah. a, a role to play and I, I do agree with Leon it's a bit ill-defined at points but mm. really it's he's there so we can witness these other characters 
Whereas in The Witcher 3, and I think the, the great strength of that game is that they properly motivate um, Geralt as a character to be part of that adventure. And I just think Geralt's a, a considerably stronger character in that entry and why that is the game that started you know, making people fall in love with that character and not these earlier mm. entries. It's interesting to me because I feel like uh, I actually love the idea of RPGs where you're not the main focus. Yeah, people have absolutely. often spoken recently about too many games make you the chosen one, yep. ultimately yeah. Jesus, God, Neo, whatever. Um, and I like the fact that you're not that. But in this game, in Witcher 2, I think you end up being too much at the service of the mm-hmm. of the the, the decision makers, the king makers, and the kings, whereas in from what I've played of the third one, you're pretty much free to go off and do what you want. Like I, I would rather play the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild than I would play. I would want to play Telltale's Game of Thrones because I am personally more interested in being in a world and doing in it what I will. That is what I mm. enjoy most from video games. However, people who love being part of of these sort of um, you know fantasy or political historical intrigue tales might get more out of it. There's a lot of the story beats within The Witcher Two as well, very dependent on what you do. So, like looking for evidence books letters mm-hmm. notes yeah. people yeah. have left and a lot of that stuff has a quite a substantial in- influence with how you may talk to somebody mm-hmm. or you might find a letter that you then give to roach which gives him a valuable piece of information which leads yeah. to a change in just a slight change in the in the way yeah. that the plot develops and yeah. i felt there's a lot of that stuff and then some of it's a little more obvious where it's a direct you know you're in a conversation you have a multiple choice situation and and depending again on how you choose to play it like Geralt can pretty much screw off everybody and and mm-hmm. you know at, at various points and just say look i just want i don't want any part of this i'm not mm. going to do your dirty work for you and stuff and leave it at that mm. and it, it, again it, it comes down to a lot of the player agency with the stuff and how much mm-hmm. And, and some of it is very hidden away. I mean, I came across stuff that I was thinking, like, if I wasn't really going out of my way here to basically scour every room that I'm going in, I wouldn't have... And I, 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 upon investigation, after finishing the game, I've realized how much of that stuff I missed yeah. Yeah. and how much it would have changed my particular playthrough had I not missed it. Yeah. And so it may, I, on, on one hand, I'm kind of thinking, that's really, like, obtuse. But mm. on the other hand, I'm kind of like... Yeah, I'm gonna to have to play this again. Yes, I really yeah, wanna. Yeah. I wanna. I wanna get right under the covers of this thing and, and find mm-hmm. out what else I can do with it. I, yeah. I, I feel like I missed a lot of stuff too, but also there were only unless I'm unless I missed some really obvious things. There were only like one or two Witcher contracts per chapter. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, there's mm-hmm. really very little of that stuff. There was even more of that in the first game, where you could at least yeah, kind of yeah. fulfill your role of being the local monster hunter Rosario, who gets yeah. gets orins for for doing dirty work basically yeah. whereas in this you are doing a way way larger number of fetch quests which may you know fetch quests perhaps that's harsh but they are quests in which you are a messenger more than anything else yeah. Or, yeah. or an assassin occasionally uh, and and i noticed with uh, with some uh, irony that in the final confrontation obviously again depending on how you engineer it what options you take but if you go down the far more conversational route in the final uh epilogue chapter Geralt actually has the temerity to say to Letho I can't believe you a witcher goes around doing stuff for humans <laughs> that they tell you to do for money yeah. and you just do whatever they-. and it's like what this is all I've done for the last 50 hours 
So yeah. Well, that was your yeah. choice, though, wasn't it? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. But they, but I know I, but, I totally get what you're saying. But it, it, it feels like those kind of conversations should be mm-hmm. influenced by what you've done in the game throughout. Yeah. Like change the dialogue choices, change mm. his responses mm. in order in because of how you've played. Hugely yeah, complex, know. that obviously. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of ties into the first game, the I wanted to ask. Uh, so it's only obviously you didn't get to carry on, Sean, right, but yeah. you you got to see it start. So for me, uh, it was a few small things, maybe not that significant. Most of it seemed to be in Nandy Lyons' journal, so it would refer to how Geralt's relationships with various people ended up before the second game started. Um, perhaps uh, more cosmetically, but pleasingly from my point of view uh your haircut continued carried over uh, <laughs> and also the raven armor which was the the sort of mm. fairly involved sub quest or secret side quest in the first game the raven armor carried over and actually ended up being my first choice armor for about the first maybe 10 hours or something so uh that was that was nice that was a nice reward for the carryover um so obviously one of the key choices that every player makes comes towards the end of the first chapter. Uh, it's fairly much spelled out what's happening and what's going to happen. You make a choice between Roach and Yorveth. Roach is working on behalf of the state, the country, the 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 government, the, uh, the establishment, I suppose would be the word, whereas Yorveth is uh, an unapologetic terrorist. Uh, who believes in his cause, which is fighting for the non-humans who have been displaced ever since the previous conjunction of the spheres. I believe I'm getting my Witcher law <laughs> right here. Uh, and who have been dealt a very uh, bad hand by uh, humanity over uh, a considerable period of time. And people like Yorveth now uh, believe that it is their duty if anything to do whatever it takes to um to try to equal things up even if that means uh, murder and death and people like roach of course uh, obviously in carrying out their orders have to do unpleasant things and when i say have to do obviously it's still a choice to carry out orders uh so these these are the the, the shades of great choices that uh, one must make uh, well, at least one of the decisions is on a timer as well so you have to be you have to kind of Mm. Go with your heart at that point when it's uh, either either hit your veth or or give him your sword. sword I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, uh, and I believe all the rest of us, I think we all <laughs> went down the roach path. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think the game gives you enough reason to really to go your veth other than uh, just pure curiosity. Depends on who you've spoken to. Again, there's <laughs> conversations yeah. okay. you can have where. Yorveth's motivations are made a little clearer mm. in terms of why he's doing this and I think Triss as well has, has something to say about why you know these elves are fighting for mm. basically for survival yeah. um, which definitely taints the way you look at it mm-hmm. I chose Roach again going <laughs> Because of I played because I played through three and he's a, and he came about in that and the decisions mm. that you make, uh, there's a sort of an interview thing where you can make choices if you haven't played two to carry through and I had no idea so I was just picking whatever you know I don't mm, care at this mm, point mm. and so that influenced my choice in this because I'd played the third game with him so I thought okay I'm going okay. with Roach yeah. 
Um, so I, I did a little reading into this just based on sort of Witcher fans, hmm. and there was no real consensus on which uh, game path is more entertaining. Like some people were absolutely adamant that if you choose Yorbeth, you get a much better game. Mm-hmm. Other people were adamant that if you choose Roach, you get mm-hmm. a much better game. So obviously that's a subjective thing. Uh, yeah. But the one thing that there was consensus on, which was that they believed that CD Projekt Red took the Roach path as canon for Witcher mm-hmm. 3. So make of that's that what probably you... based on the fact that Roach is a returning character, whereas Yorveth isn't. So yeah. I think what even probably, happens to Yorveth? It like, just buggers off at the end. I mean, the, the the major difference is just how. So when you make that choice between Roach or Yorveth, it depends on where the, the the third chapter takes place. So if you go with Roach, you go to Henslet's camp. And you spend it there. If you choose Yorveth, you go with Saskia and Vergen. And so it's kind of like a flip reversal. And they're completely different missions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's if you want to see everything that game has to offer, you kind of do have to play it play twice. It twice absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, you know, I have yeah. no particular issue with that. Cause, and I like the fact that by playing it twice, you're not repeating yourself. In, in, yeah. It's a fundamentally different mm. outlook. You know, it changes everything. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a bold move too because you you know CD Projekt Red takes the the risk of certain people who have played the game only playing it once and not even seeing like what is this probably like a third of the game like yeah yeah it's yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really bold move on their part and I, I'm certainly planning on playing it again which is this is the only Witcher game that I can say that about honestly Josh did you have any regrets about your choice for me it felt like your Veth was basically ISIS, so uh, <laughs> in terms of motivations, I'm struggling I think with I that. Felt, I think I felt regret when I started um, reading up about um, what happens in the alternate path. Mm. Um, the mm. characters, not Your Veth himself, but some of the other characters involved in. Um, that alternate path sounded much more appealing than mm-hmm. the characters I ended Grass up. Grass is always greener. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, true. True enough. Um, but it felt like with Vernon Roach's path, I was dealing with a lot of power hungry mm-hmm. kings and lords mm-hmm. and stuff who just were completely out for themselves and had no totally. real higher mm-hmm. motive. Whereas uh, on the alternate path, it sounds like while flawed, while they are willing to do monstrous things, most of the characters did have like a higher altruistic purpose where they were trying to elevate their their race mm-hmm. and their people mm-hmm. to equal status with humans. Um, and I, I do think, um, based, uh, you know, I've only played one path and read on the other, but I do think both sound equally interesting in their mm-hmm. own way. It depends entirely what you're more interested in. I actually like, you know, we were talking about the grass is always greener before, but I do, I do find that kind of. Um, bad people doing bad things interesting when it's well written and and mm. well contextualized and i think the witcher 2 does a good job of doing that you've been radicalized um, yeah, I was gonna yeah. Say. <laughs> well you know I, I, well yeah. see i look at it slightly differently hensel is trump's america and <laughs> yeah. uh, saskia is like trudeau's canada so it's just okay. like yeah. I don't I don't think it's that black and white. But, <laughs> but it's yeah. If Justin Trudeau's yeah. a dragon, that'd be pretty awesome. 
that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think I, I think maybe that's this is where my problems with the middle section of the game that I was alluding to before about just feeling like a lackey. Uh, mm-hmm. came from and maybe if I'd chosen your best path I'd have felt more like I was yeah, still an maybe. independent rogue witcher living mm-hmm. on the you know the edges of, of the law and society and uh, shaking things up but equally I can't I couldn't morally get behind their methodology mm-hmm. um, so but having said that the people who I was working for were really no no better in their mm-hmm. own way. Uh, it's just that the path was presented as Roach and Yorveth, and I felt that Roach specifically said a few times that he did not have any truck with bigotry, but he felt that he had to to protect the people, act in certain ways in certain situations. Mm. So, uh, and also he's a badass as well. You know, yeah, he like, helps to get out of jail. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think in the moment I was picking, I wasn't really picking based on morality. It was more which character am I invested in more, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. based on that alone, Roach all the way because yeah. Roach right. is just presented as a much more fascinating individual, yeah. more nuanced. Whereas Eorveth is a bit of a, a moustache twirler. It's which is a shame, I think, because mm. uh, even though you know we're we're saying that he's yeah effectively a terrorist, it would have been perhaps more of a yeah it would have been more of a pull if mm-hmm. if. Eorveth has been had been as charismatic as Roach, rather than a bit more two dimensional. Uh, perhaps that would have made it. Well, I, a yeah, lot I, I think this is where it gets kind of interesting because Eorveth is a two dimensional character in the game. Mm. But what I found is when you speak to people like, even to some extent, Dandelion, and in particular Zoltan, um, he's got a lot to. They've got a lot to say about this, mm. and a lot to say because it all kind of. You know the decision comes in when you're in flotsam. So you, you, you those are the only real two in people with any kind of insight into mm. into what's going on and that side of things. And uh, there's some interesting conversations to be had with him. I still chose to go with Roach, even though I'd had these conversations. I don't, and but I look at it now yeah. and thinking like big picture, it, it probably wasn't the right choice. After well, by the time the game ended, I kind of did think that you know. Where I would sit personally would be more aside with Yorveth and Saskia, and well, it's not so much Yorveth. The choices you're given in the game is between Yorveth and and Roach, but it, the 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 choice really become the things that make you reconsider that option are when you get to the third chapter and you you, you meet people like Saskia, and even um, Philippa Eilhart has stuff to say on this stuff as well, and it's. Although she's got her own particular um, reasons for doing things and stuff, mm. but it's it gets that's where it gets interesting. I, th- I just think the problem was that it wasn't unless you really dig deep into this into the second chapter, this stuff's going to pass you by, and it's going to seem like a really simple choice to make. Whereas I think it, it, mm. if they if they developed that stuff a little bit more, it could have been far more interesting to really tear the player in terms of who they choose to side with. Do you think it's partly in the writing, partly in the performance of Yorveth, maybe I, a little bit mm, too pantomime? Well, no, because I think it's it's interesting to have a guy who, by all accounts, is a is a, a murderous individual. Mm. But then it's like you speak to the other people, you start to see a side of it that you might not have realised. And as I said, a lot of it comes down into finding letters, finding evidence and, and books and, and talking to individuals about stuff that then starts, you know, like the, I can't remember his name, but, you know, the um, the elf that's outside Flotsam mm-hmm. in that village. You know, uh, yeah. these characters Cedric? have, 
Yeah, mm-hmm. these characters influence that this can influence that decision if you really mm-hmm. take the time to dig deep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of interesting that it's it maybe it was purposely mm-hmm. buried in there to 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 make you consider like I don't know, it's just because why? Why? Should, yeah, I don't know. Maybe CD Projekt Red hide terrorist sympathies in <laughs> fantasy well, games. Well, I think Shocker. you know, you, you, we it's like one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter situation. <laughs> very, so, very so. much. That's exactly it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Terrorism is a very tricky business, uh, as, <laughs> as is said in a in a in a movie. Uh, Tadinho says on this very subject. I'll add my voice to the choir in saying that Witcher 2 is also my favourite game in the series. The only one I played multiple times and never got tired of. The jump in quality from 1 to 2 cannot be understated. Just on a graphics level, while Witcher 1 barely ran and looked horrible even by 2007 standards, Witcher 2 was pushing computers to their breaking points by being one of the most graphically impressive games of the last generation and still looks pretty good today. Starting with the gameplay, the game uh, the game became a full-blown action RPG, and not only that, but several mechanics were streamlined and changed in order to accommodate the new combat system. The combat retained its focus on preparation of the first game, but now it was much more understandable and enjoyable to play while losing nothing of its difficulty, which was as punishing as ever. The first boss fight with Letho especially serves as a wake-up call to whoever thinks uh, to whoever walks into combat without thinking, especially since now you can no longer drink potions during combat. This makes you use all the tool- tools at your disposal during combat be it bombs, oils or signs to get through a fight and mastering those are key to succeeding. Along with the combat, what really elevated The Witcher 2 for me above most Western RPGs was its story and characters. The game takes full advantage of the mature setting and centres the plot around the political intrigue and the moral dilemmas that arise from that. One can say that this is not much different from other RPGs, but thanks to its setting and execution, Witcher 2 stands out above the competition. There are no good guys or bad guys in this game. All are driven by their own interests and things almost never get a happy or neatly tied resolution. There are always unintended consequences and mistakes that you have to live with. The story of Witcher 2 isn't about saving the world or revenge, it's about how the complex politics of a region and the interests of the pa- of the powerful affect people. This isn't a game where you feel like a triumphant hero after defeating a big bad final boss, you'll just likely keep asking if there was any way things could have turned out better. To add to the plot, Witcher 2 has a great memorable cast of characters from the most appalling like Demavend and Laredo to the most amusing like, well, every single troll. But a special mention has to be made to Yorveth because he's not only my favourite character in this game but out of the entire series. Simply put, Yorveth is an unapologetic terrorist with a deep hatred for humans and that might seem like a weird character to like especially since he essentially starts as an antagonist but the game does a wonderful job in showing his mindset in both his actions and some really well-written dialogue. He's what you'd call a true believer, but at the same time a pragmatist. He wants his people to take back everything they've lost, but at the same time he knows that it isn't possible, so he's trying to compromise to achieve what's best for them. If you remove morality from the equation, all his actions are entirely justifiable. (laughs) Well, that's true of everything yeah. surely yeah. Uh, yeah the best part however is that he's not just the revolutionary in the same way that Geralt isn't just the stoic protagonist both have layers and with Yorveth in particular it's quite telling that in his dreams he only wants a quiet life 
I focused a lot on Yorveth because he is my favourite, but other characters are similarly well written on written, such as his foil Roach, the main antagonist Letho, Philippa, Radovid, the list goes on. It's not all good, of course. They decided to add quick time events, that's true, and forced stealth sections that really add nothing but frustration. And for some unknown reason, the timer of potions continues to count down even during cutscenes, which can be a problem in tough fights that have a cutscene preceding them. <laughs> there are a few too many fetch quests for my liking, and despite the writing overall being pretty great, there are still some odd out-of-place lines here and there. Lesbomancy comes to mind. <laughs> there are tiny annoyances, however... These are tiny annoyances, however, in an otherwise fantastic game that I can't recommend enough. Thanks, Tadinho. Uh, so this game has some loving in it. Sexy time with Geralt. <laughs> it's part of his thing. It's what he does. Uh, he gets flirty. He doesn't stay faithful to people. Well, I suppose he can if, again, there's a there's, yeah, a pro- there's an element of... Stuff. No, no, true. Yeah. Uh, so I would, you know, the cutscenes are... are, are better rendered i suppose we still uh we sure. we now have actual polygonal nudity instead of uh, playing cards mm-hmm. um and it isn't played so much like a collect em up so much as it's a yeah, part yeah. of his character if you want it to be he's flirtatious and he has needs even though he's uh he's infertile um i think i only ended up with one sex scene and i don't know if it, i could if it was possible to avoid it <laughs> i don't know the and the uh elf area yeah, or whatever that's okay, right yeah. yes yeah. yeah uh is it is it possible to go around the map collecting wenches like it was in the first game <laughs> um pretty pretty much <laughs> like, yeah. um i think if you go if you youtube it <clears throat> not that i have of course but <laughs> if you um there's about four or five different scenes with different characters that you right across, so. well uh, actually so let's uh tris vess yep. um mm. cynthia Who's a character I never encountered at all during my playthrough? Right, okay. Um, Sounds like I missed a lot of stuff, to be fair. And I think there's one more. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the brothel. So, okay, oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So, did, how do you guys feel about this? Did it feel. We, we were all. I think we were all a little bit uncomfy in the first game. It felt yeah, a little bit yeah. like a. Yeah, like a, a, a guy collects women as trophies, yeah, collect yeah. them up. Is, did this. Mm feel slightly less like that yeah I, I would say it felt a lot more nat- well i don't know about a lot more but it felt more natural i think um because mm. i think what i was saying about the first game was that you know it's cool to see a game try and and portray casual sex and but in that game it felt a bit like aggressive <laughs> and then this game is still it, in this game it just seems like girl's a horny dude and is just ready mm. to to get down um which is totally fine with me and, and also i like i didn't feel like he I don't think they really gave you much of a reason to stay faithful to Triss. I don't know if that sounds awful or not, but like the only <laughs> really like connection you have with her, even if I, I imagine most people didn't play the first game, if if there's a playing a console version at least, so you have no real connection to any of these uh, characters. So I don't know. I think it was okay. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I I I don't have a particular issue with it. I mean, it's just for all its lewdness, um, it doesn't. It it's not. Grand Theft Auto in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, I think the, yeah. the the female characters are, are better written, and there's a certain, you know, there's, you know, but I guess even with the vest one, it was just like she's she's kind of the instigator. Yeah, she she's like says, let's get drunk. Yeah. You know, they do. A, there's a side quest that you can do with yeah. her, and and she comes back and is like, yeah, you know what, let's get drunk and and screw. Oh yeah, no, I didn't. And it's yeah. just like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you just you know, and it didn't it's feel not a you know. Belt and, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and Geralt's just like, hmm, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, and it didn't feel like 
yeah, I'm making a joke about it, but it it didn't feel like forced. Right. It didn't feel yeah, it didn't. like it was you, you were there was um, the situation just naturally evolved that way, yeah. as as you might imagine it might. I just out of curiosity, never... how does the how did they treat the achievements on the 360 version? Uh, if if you well, when I did that scene with Vess, a little achievement popped up that just had Heartbreaker. Uh, I guess alluding oh, to the fact okay. that you didn't stay faithful, but. Josh, anything on uh, on your sexual uh, conquest <laughs> in um, the game or otherwise? Uh, or otherwise, I, I, I think it's a lot better than because I think The Witcher One, as you guys have already said, can kind of completely objectify yeah. um, his sexual um, conquests with that collectible card thing, and I think that was not okay. Um, but here, I think we're still in the territory of soft porn, um, mm-hmm. whereas The Witcher 3, I think what's great about The Witcher 3 is it has fun. Like the, the, Some of the sex scenes are actually funny. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and also, there's more, even the ones that are more passionate, more serious, there's kind of like a romance novelness to them where you have like deer galloping, like cutaway to deer galloping and stuff like that. Whereas here, we are kind of in the realm of teenage titillation. But at the same time, I think it's motivated. I think Trish, she's the instigator and all of that stuff. So I, I think it's fine. It's sex positive. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I just wish it was a little less lewd. It's a slight aside, but the only time I had a problem with it was there's a scene... Well, you don't actually see it. You see the... You see a flashback sequence of it starting, but it's basically Henselt uh, rapes Vess yeah. later in the game. Yes, and that that was, and it was, and then she became. So here you've got this like quite um, volatile and capable soldier. Yeah, suddenly yeah. reduced to this damsel in yeah. distress, and she, you know, she runs to Geralt crying and stuff like that, and yeah. it just felt. That was the only time where I felt, you know, what you're doing that character a disservice. Yeah, mm. like. You know, and but it, yeah, and and then she became. I wouldn't say she got fridged, but it was that level of motivation. She became then the motivation to about to go and fight right, against yeah. Hensel. Yeah. This uh, and, this this whole universe. I don't know about the books, but the game version of the universe pretty much subscribes wholeheartedly to the all bad guys are rapists cliche. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's even a point very early on in the game. Uh, right at the during the pro- prologue, you know when um, you're trying to get into the castle and and you see Roach and another a few of his soldiers enter and then toss the guy off the bridge, and then open the gate. Um, there's a scene between Foltest and Roach, and Roach says that his soldiers are coming from another side and they're basically just raping and pillaging. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of think, oh, well, what? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, you, yeah, you just think, okay, am I fighting on the right side here or what? Yeah, but, they lean on it a lot. Yeah, and then, you know, you go through the, the village if you choose to and you can stop the soldiers from doing all these abhorrent acts. Yeah. So you go and stop them from burning villagers alive in their houses and, you you know, mm. we're going to basically just murder people. <laughs> yeah. And well, one thing just... that was funny about that whole sequence though, was for me, like, I would go in and stop this kind of stuff, but then mm. I'd immediately steal everything in the room. Like, they have all these, like, orins and, yeah. and all types of stuff in the room. It's just yes, one of those we, RPG it, things. Even, even, yeah, even four years later, that still goes yeah. on in this game. Uh, it's addressed in the third game, of course, Yeah, uh, to some extent. About, about that stuff that we were just on... Um, Jay, I completely mm. agree with the Vess um, mm. situation. I think that that devalues the character. 
But like the thing about the medieval period is that this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I know, yeah. But that's always people's argument with that stuff, isn't it? It's like, oh, but it really happened. Yeah, but it's mm. not. You, you're playing yeah, a it's... fantasy game based on a, you know, right, and, and yeah. it's how they handle those situations that I feel is where you can have issues mm-hmm. with it. They're yeah. still you know, using I'm... that excuse in The Witcher 3, also not to jump far ahead, but there's no, like, there's hardly any people of color in any of these games. And a lot of, mm. I've saw some devs respond saying, well, it's just it's a medieval time. So there just wasn't that many around mm. at the time. Like, you're talking about a totally made up place with dragons and specters. And, and also, like, and also that's wolves. not true. That's, that isn't true. There, yeah, yeah. there <laughs> would have been people yeah. of color in medieval yeah. Britain and medieval Which, France yeah. and wherever. But, I mean, uh, some of it, there, were, there was some effort made to address that in three with the first DLC. expansion. Yeah. Yeah, but you do, you know, and the, there's racism is is definitely an issue that he's sure. raised into mm-hmm. as well, and and, it, mm-hmm. and the whole yeah, thing's an analogy for it with the square right. tail, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like but, I, I, I was watching a video today, and and they compared Yorveth to Malcolm X mm-hmm. and the Black Panthers and stuff, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that, but mm-hmm. it's just. You know, but yeah. I, I I thought it's an interesting how people will view characters differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I I think I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's mm-hmm. all about depiction and how you treat yeah. the subject yeah, matter. Sure. I think yeah. the gratuitousness of the vest sequence, and I think that you know Game of Thrones is really really guilty of yeah, being absolutely. gratuitous of that stuff as well, and has rightly been criticised. Mm-hmm. But I think also avoiding it entirely is also a bit morally questionable because Mm -hmm. I think you should at least bring up in conversation that after a siege, it is not very fun for the people Mm -hmm. who lived in that city. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, this this is going to sound like... Uh, a little bit cynical but like a world without those horrors is less believable to me than mm-hmm. a world with dragons and and goat uh, goat men and what have you like yeah. no, I, I pe- totally human agree. beings I mean, are cruel and, and that's part of the human condition and that's that has to happen yeah to, it, I to think be that, a grounded I, world there are game but, worlds yeah. like uh, Zelda and Nino Cooney if you want the, right, you know, yeah, the very yeah. clean yeah, yeah. magical kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's it's just good and evil and and the the kind of all the 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 really gnarly bits are, are kind of glossed over uh, yeah but like we said at the very earlier on it, it's because everybody's all these different shades of gray is what makes these games more interesting um in in regards to the characters and stuff and and, and, and yeah you know i, I think it, it touches upon some really horrific stuff but it was just yeah the only sequence that i had issue with was with the best one just because mm-hmm. it felt you know it just felt badly handled more than anything else i also yeah. find and I, d- I don't know about you uh and like it's it's not a big deal and it's not that i would curl up and die or anything but i would still just be, partly because of the you know, nude people in video games still kind of don't look right. They look a bit weird. And like if Tanya, my co- uh, girlfriend partner, came in while I happened to be watching a, you know, in the middle of a sexy Geralt cutscene, I wouldn't be, mm. you know, I wouldn't be mortified. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, I can't believe she's caught me watching this stuff. But uh, I do. I wouldn't feel entirely uh, like uh, I, I think I would have to laugh. Like because yeah. it it looks absurd. I think as much as anything, like you know, and she's somebody who 
you know completely understands in uh, you know trusts me on her and and believes in me when it comes to storytelling in games being of you know a legitimate uh thing and that she agrees with me that video games are a, a, a worthwhile form of art and media and stuff like that but i think it's partly about you know the it's partly the the actual graphical depiction of nude humans and partly the the context and the direction of these cutscenes, they are still a bit cringy mm-hmm. for me i've played a game this week so wolfenstein the new order mm-hmm. has a couple of sex scenes in it yep. which i thought were incredibly funny and yeah. well handled <laughs> probably <laughs> better than anybody yeah. any other what there's there's one particular uh scene that takes place on a table which yes. i just thought was <laughs> just so different in the way that it it, it yeah. What was interesting is you're confronted by this sort of, and it's not graphic in a sense, you know, both sort characters. Of. I mean, well, you, you don't legs, see the actual. Really. Yeah, it's the graphic in the, tri- in the yeah. sense that it's completely obvious what's happening, but it's yeah, not yeah. graphic in that you don't you don't actually like see genitals. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. and but what it was just the sort of it was the way the characters were with each other in that sequence that was what was interesting to me, and I think that's where the, these games kind of flounder a lot of the time. Is it just feels. They go off into this sort of uh, slight artificial feeling place, even mm. compared to the rest of the game, where it suddenly feels like almost like a different genre. Like they're trying to, and, and Bioware have done this, and uh, mm. other David Cage has done it as well. Where so, as soon as it goes to a sex scene, it feels like like it, the the the, the style and the tone and the direction all goes back to the sort of the eighties somehow. <laughs> like everything's really mm. the saxophones, saxophones, and, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's really hard to describe without being, you know, a, a a student of of film and things but on this subject of sexy time hunter 30 from the forum posted uh, recently to say to give some context i've played the first witcher game the enhanced edition which i thoroughly enjoyed for me assassins of kings improved upon that in almost every way i'm a big fan of sword and sorcery setting both in rpgs and literature so there was an obvious hook anyway but what i found really for refreshing was the series unapologetically adult and gritty take on the genre the initial learning curve was even more steep than in the first game and for the first few hours i had real reservations about my ability to get on with the combat system i probably died more times during the first 10 percent of the game than I did throughout its entire remainder. Once I'd levelled up a couple of times, however, and gotten used to the controls, things became much easier and more enjoyable. In fact, during its second half, and thanks to liberal use of the Igni sign, fights with non-boss enemies were something of a cakewalk. This was something I'd also experienced with the original game. This heightened that sense of Geralt's growing prowess as a warrior and didn't prevent me from enjoying the combat, but I wonder if this could have been slightly better balanced. Other posts on the forum have paid tribute to the story much more eloquently than I can but suffice to say I thought this was fantastic nuanced and rich but not overly complex I'm aware of the witch's literary origins although I haven't yet read in any of the novels if this is the kind of quality of story that results from games drawing on fantasy novel source material with a deep well of pre-existing lore then let's have more of them I say I'm going to end my post on what might be a slightly contentious note and defend the game against some of the criticism which has been levelled against it for its use of nudity Uh, Not by us, he's obviously referring to uh, elsewhere. Just to be clear, it's The Witcher 2 specifically, which I'm defending. I can't argue that the cards awarded in the first game for sexual conquests were anything but gratuitous, with a capital G. I'm also not claiming that The Witcher 2 gets it right every time. The spanking scene between Philippa and Cynthia in Vergen was an odd one, to say the least. 
I don't, I don't remember that. To me, nudity and sex within a narrative medium, whether that's a video game, novel or film, is only gratuitous if it adds nothing to the story and is merely there to titillate or deliberately create controversy and therefore draw in an increased audience. In terms of character development and particularly the relationship between Geralt and Triss, I found one of the most effective and powerful moments of the game to be when those two got it on in the pool in the Elven Ruins. Yes, it featured a lot of boob, but for me it absolutely worked as a believable and tender scene which demonstrated the affection they had for one another. I think it's shortly after that when Triss is kidnapped by Letho and I remember rushing to find her because I didn't want her and Geralt's shared story to end there. I'd completely bought into that relationship. I'm not suggesting that we should stop asking questions about whether sex or nudity is gratuitous and challenging when and challenging when that's the case, but I do think that in an age where the storytelling power of the best games is on a par with more traditional media, we should apply similar standards when making those judgments. Nudity in popular programmes like Game of Thrones or Orange is New Black is commonplace, and yet in my experience doesn't attract the same level of controversy or feature so prominently when it comes to review time. Yeah, fair enough, I think uh, Hunter 30, and I think we've tried to do that. Yeah, I think generally games are probably still coming up a bit short compared to depictions of uh, sexual relations in other media, but I think they've, yeah, they've, it's come on a long way anyway. Uh, so I want to talk about the conclusion. As I say, obviously, we haven't talked about every uh, nuance of the story, every twist and turn, um, but the the end game, as it were, uh, there's a big fight with the dragon. Uh, which I thought was a moderately successful boss fight. Not a classic, but uh, nor was it completely... uh, It wasn't, you know, it wasn't agonisingly frustrating or anything like that. And it was quite spectacular at at points as well. Uh, And then there's an epilogue in which you finally get to face off either verbally or physically with uh, Letho, the Witcher. All I really wanted to say on this personally was that uh, Letho's accent didn't work for me uh (laughs) so even if a lot of people have said what an interesting character he is and uh sort of how cool it is to find another witcher with more kind of going on with him and the fact that he used his sort of slightly oafish physical appearance as almost a uh a a disguise to play uh Mm -hmm. to play uh to play everyone off against each other while being actually quite uh subtle and uh clandestine and and clever Mm. uh but yes, his his accent didn't sell it for me, and I don't think the the voice performance was particularly strong mm. either. But uh, and also, I didn't really, as Jay said earlier, I didn't really care whether <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Geralt gets his memories back or not. So yeah, I, I'm of two minds of this ending because, as as you were saying, like I I can dig all the all the his backstory. Basically, I really liked all all the um the history that you get by talking to him. But it's also like the biggest exposition dump I've ever seen. It's just like you meet him and then here's a mm-hmm. list of, of uh, questions that's just all like uh, whatever you have left, like you know, all the things that you don't yeah. you haven't figured out by now. And he's just one by one by one. And he sits there and gives you the line after line after line. And just kind of it felt a little um, a little ham fisted, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like it's weird because I kind of I liked I liked his answers. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. didn't like the delivery, I guess. Yeah. I, I like Letho as a character. I do mm-hmm. like, but again, tainted by my playthrough of three. But I, that sequence at the end, I kind of liked their interaction. You know, they were like passing that uh, flask of vodka mm-hmm. back and forth yeah. and stuff. That was, that was cool. Sort of, yeah. 
Yeah, and I kind of liked, and I, I liked the fact that earlier on as well, it's implied that Geralt and Letho were friends, and yeah. they were before he lost his, yes. he had the amnesia, and I think that adds an interesting slant to the way I started to see that character. And you know, you you take down the other two witches who were with him, and you know, again, you were all friends at one point, and he only Geralt can't remember these people, and it, it and then you find out that he saved. Triss, and if you choose, so there's a second point. Uh, there's a choice you have whether you can help Roach rescue Anais, or you can go and rescue Triss from um, hmm. Guardian. Yeah. Um, so, if you chose to help Roach, you don't see what happens. But then it turns out that um, Letho rescues Triss from the Guardians. Oh. And so, and all that's kind of explained and stuff. And, and it, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I mean, the the performance isn't up there. Although, I don't know. To me, I kind of warmed to that character even prior to my playthrough of two. So it definitely influenced how I felt about him. But mm. I kind of, yeah. Did anyone fight him? Mm-mm. <laughs> We all took the same choices in both key yeah. areas of the game here. I don't know how mm. much of a difficult fight it is. Uh, as one of our correspondents said earlier, the first fight with him is a bit of a an eye-opener in terms of difficulty if you're not ready mm. for it, especially. Mm. Uh, I wonder, uh, yeah, I think, to be honest, I don't know about the rest of you, and it, this may be talking to the fact that I missed a lot of content in this game but i wasn't anywhere near the end of any of the paths of my character development i was yeah barely mm-hmm. half i was like a quarter of the way yeah. on each of them now maybe that's maybe if you focus on one you can get to the end maybe if you do every side quest and every witcher yeah. contract but i ended up being a jack of all trades so i was really concerned that i was just going to get creamed in this final fight by this <laughs> big witcher who maybe mm. specialized in one area and so as much as anything self-preservation and actually wanting to make sure I get, got the game done uh, I decided to go for the com- conversational route rather than the uh, rather than the fight also I had no motivation to kill him really mm. I guess um, none of us could find that motivation to fight him well no because I, like I said he, he proved to be quite useful in the third game so I didn't want to kill him <laughs> even yeah, you, though he wouldn't have really made future. any difference yeah. but it was just yeah it was just hindsight but um, it, it's interesting you talk about the sort of the uh, skill tree stuff because I basically only sided with signs and swordplay, but I was amazed how little of that I unlocked by the end of the game. Yeah. Like I was about halfway on both of those things, but I think it is a case that the only way you're going to max any one of those trees out is to only focus on that one thing. Right. Because I think if you try to spread that, there's no way you get enough points. You know, I was leveling up pretty consistently, but and, and you get a lot of those um, uh, skill points by the end of the, you know, as you do the later stuff, you start getting three and four of them at a time. But yes. I was like nowhere close. Okay. To, and, uh, I was under so we're the, all the same uh, on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought there may be a new game plus, and it was the one thing I was genuinely surprised that there wasn't <laughs> a new game plus option because I assumed that I oh, can new game plus it and I will mm. max one of these things out because you'll need it. Uh, but no. None at all. Hmm. Another post from the forum. Nick Turner, the 13th Nick Turner, says, I love The Witcher 2. 
It was the first game in a long, long time that I felt really involved with the storyline to the point where it was taking over my everyday thoughts. I remember remarking to a friend at the time of playing it, it's the first game that I've played for nearly 20 years that has had me up early before going to work and desperate to get home just to continue playing it and continue the immersion in the story. The storyline and characters are incredible. The graphics for the time were second to none and the voice acting was supreme. For several years, I looked forward to The Witcher 3 and although I did get my money's worth from that game with around 70 hours of gameplay, I am yet to visit the islands of Skelliger and I'm probably only about 50% through the game. The Witcher 2 showed me what a proper RPG should be like on more modern systems, showing the advancement in graphics and sound. And so for me, this is one of the most important games ever made. Crikey. And Mauricio MM has the final word from the forum. Overall, even coming from the humble first game, and despite some flaws of its own, I enjoyed The Witcher 2 Assassins of Kings way more than I thought I would. And, like its predecessor, it was a sign of a possibly amazing future for the franchise. A future that, to my greatest joy, became a reality four years later with The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. You won't have to wait four years for us to talk about it. Um, possibly about eight weeks, I think. I can't remember exactly, but uh, we needed to give ourselves a nice long run up at it. But we'll be back with The Witcher 3 and then a separate podcast at the end of the year on the two substantial chunks of downloadable content. Away from the forum, we have our Twitter, of course, because you have to, at Canaan Rinse, naturally. And... On the day of recording, when we do a show, we ask you for reviews in just three words. Sometimes that's really hard to cover a game like this, but a few of you have done it. So let's start with Jay and Grancesco. Yep. Buggy and Linear. Andy Alex Bolzova says, anachronistic American accents. Roxy says, Temerian Special Forces. Gareth Cutliffe says, Havoc Physics Engine. Nicholas Chice Curse you, Henselt. Kevin Holdeny says silver or steel. Nate Clark says long live Letho. And Ashton Herman says funny, poignant, magnificent. Good stuff. Thank you, everybody. And now for us to conclude The Witcher 2. Let's start with Sean O'Brien. Yeah, I feel like uh, for some reason, <laughs> I don't know why, but I've been more negative on the podcast than I actually feel about the game. I don't know if it's just from where I piped in and 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 whatnot, but uh, I honestly now having played all three, I haven't played the um, I haven't played the DLCs for three, uh, but of the main three games, this is honestly probably my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm not going to spoil anything about three, but I think that game is like on a Hideo Kojima level of bloated. Like there's that game is so long, and oh, I feel like Williams fighting words, man. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm in the wrong room. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, but I do really like I, I I really I did have a good time with uh, The Witcher Three. But I feel like that some of that that fat's cut here in the way they uh, they spread out the world uh, the three major levels in in this game, and um, so yeah, I just kind of appreciated the the bit of a leaner uh, uh, Witcher experience and and the the political intrigue and all that kind of was really was was. was uh, different enough for me to appreciate and at least in terms of an RPG or as you mentioned earlier Leon about the you know something that bothers me about a lot of RPGs is that you are like the savior of the universe and in this one it was just maybe you're a little too far removed from the story <laughs> but the actual story that you're that is being presented to you I think is still a uh, pretty well written and, and nice intricately weaving story so um, yeah, I, I, I actually really do uh, like The Witcher 2 a lot and as I said earlier I think it's probably going to be the only one 
of the three that I replay the next time I have any kind of uh, room for a game this big. But still, yeah, I, I had a really good time with this game. Uh, I enjoyed Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings. I certainly did. I'm really glad I played it. I'm glad I played Witcher 1 first, even though it was uh, it was a struggle at times. And even though the hooks into 2 weren't that spectacular or significant in a way, it feels important to me. I'm, I'm enjoying having that continuity. Uh, as we've already stressed, I think the upgrade in terms of almost everything, really, from the first game to the second game is fairly astonishing, uh, even if... The first game was slightly behind the times for its age. Uh, this very much was uh, pushing tech to its boundaries in a lot of areas. Uh, it's not without glitches and quirks and foibles and shortcomings as well, both in terms of uh, mechanics and general tech. Uh, there are still some bugs and issues there that you might associate with a slightly less than AAA production or whatever, but uh, a lot of it uh, kind of flies in the face of that. The general presentation the art the music the voice acting for the most part the script for the most part there's so much to to see and do in here um how long to beat had this game down at like 25 hours or 35 hours or something like that and as i say i think i spent more like 55 and obviously there's a fair amount of content that i missed that's on normal difficulty um i enjoyed getting back into the preparing for fights thing that the witcher has perhaps it's almost a unique feature i can't think of another series of games where preparing for the fight is as important as what you do during the fight uh perhaps even more so here uh, arguably to the floor that it doesn't really tell you when you're supposed to be preparing for a fight uh, but there are ways around this um my story as it went was slightly unsatisfactory in terms of the fact that I didn't feel fully invested or engaged in the story that was either going on around me or the bits that I was involved in. That said, there was a lot of interest and, and uh, uh, character interaction that was, yeah, that was engaging enough. Uh, I just didn't feel, without wanting to be a godlike figure, uh, I didn't feel that I really had much purpose or much reason for doing anything that I was doing I could have done with some more actual of the um the the, the baggy stuff that maybe Sean doesn't enjoy so much of hunting monsters and things mm -hmm. like that and going out into the wilds and camping and mm -hmm. putting up with the weather and all that stuff that's the stuff I really love in in RPGs and and uh, and games of this type mm -hmm. uh I would be curious to play the Yorveth path someday but I have a, a slight backlog of a few thousand <laughs> games um, that I need to be getting on with, including the game sequels. So uh, I'll probably look up on uh, on the internet, YouTube, and wikis and see what I what I missed to an extent. Uh, but yeah, definitely recommended. Um, if certainly if you picked it up on 360 for cheap or free, uh, and it's or it's on your good old games library, I would uh, certainly if you're a loose end for something to play. Um, no doubt worth checking out. However, if you, like many people, adore The Witcher 3 uh, because of its scope and its uh, epic span and size and all that, uh, you might find going backwards slightly restrictive. Uh, however, if you're a big fan of this sort of Game of Thrones style uh, blood and gore and intrigue and politics, you might find it a, a tighter and more satisfying experience. So, yeah, there you go. Jay. As I said at the start, I held off playing this for the longest time because I was so concerned by it that I might play something that would impact on the way I feel 
of my feelings towards the third game, which I hold in incredibly high regard. But um, the truth is I needn't have worried about it because I did really enjoy this game. Mm. And you can see how they've improved upon the systems that they've got in this game, but there's still plenty to enjoy in this title. And I will be playing this again because I'm, 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 so, I'm definitely one of those people that wants to try to see everything that a game has to particularly when you've got all this branching narrative stuff which i really really like as a feature in a game i would like it even more if they could find their way to do a remaster of this on Mm. the current consoles because i think something that a lot of you know with it being exclusive to the one platform i think a lot of people would and, and judging by the sales figures as well it would indicate that you know it's not not a lot of people played it necessarily um, and I think there's a lot of interest in this now to be able to, you know, after after three kind of blew everybody's mind a bit. But yeah, I I thoroughly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. Let's finish with Joshua Garrity. So I think in every other aspect, I think The Witcher Three is superior. But in terms of just the core story, uh, forget the side missions, forget the DLC, just the core story. Comparing the two. I, I do find The Witcher 2's narrative more interesting um, because all of that political stuff, all of that kingdoms clashing, all of that intrigue, that's fascinating to me. I love when bad people with complex motivations clash together in a chaotic mix and it's not as simple as there's a dark lord and a one ring and all of that stuff as much as i i do love that stuff when it's executed well but really i prefer this kind of gray chaos of all these different characters and their different motivations and as an expression of that, I think The Witcher 2 is one of the strongest examples in video games. Um, certainly, I think I'm certainly more impressed with the, the narrative here than I have been with uh, Dragon Age's attempts at similar mm. kind of uh, Game of Thronesian uh, narratives. I think, yeah, and until we get into the kind of Witcher 3 DLC, I think that the story here... Um, is yet to be topped in the series until we get to the until we start talking mm. about stuff like Hearts of Stone and and Blood and Wine. But yeah, I, I I think it's worth experiencing in spite of some mechanical wonkiness because that core story is so strong. Super, thank you, Josh. Uh, so it turns out that uh, the Witcher Three Kane and Rince podcast will be issued two hundred ninety two late October. That'll be me, Jay, Josh, and Leah. And possibly somebody else, but we'll see. Uh, so it remains for me, Leon, to thank Jay, Josh and Sean, as well as our, all our correspondents and all of you for listening. And to remind you, if you've enjoyed this and the other shows that we do for you, please consider heading to our Patreon page and donating that minimum of a dollar a month or more. You can always donate more. And if enough of you do this, we could make double the amount of Cana Rinse shows in the future. Patreon.com slash Uh, Thank you for your attention, and next time, in issue 284, we've got the Galahorn for Destiny.